Meow. This is Tanya Todd, writer, producer, and soon-to-be director of Morning Sacrifice, a tragic romance where a vampire poses as a detective to help the woman he loves search for her missing husband. This sensuous detective noir short film explores how even the most altruistic love can turn monstrous. If this story strikes a titillating nerve, or if you simply love vampires, consider contributing to our crowdfunder at seedandspark.com. Funding for this film is supported in part by Nevada Arts Council and National Endowment of the Arts, but we still have a long way to go. Check out our enticing incentives. Pick the choice that excites you most. Join me, and we shall make a dark and delicious love story. That's Morning Sacrifice at seedandspark.com. Hello and welcome to Banned Books Conversations, where radical readers discuss prohibited prose. I'm your host, Tanya Todd, and we're here to talk about banned books, literary works that have been removed from a library shelf or school curriculum. Over the course of Banned Books Week, this series will cover seven different books, the reasons they were banned, and the value in reading them. Today's book is The Kite Runner by Khaled Hosseini, I believe I'm saying that correct. I should warn listeners, there will definitely be spoilers ahead. But before we get to that, let's meet today's radical readers. Meow Amanda, please tell us a bit about yourself, who you are and what you do. Hi, Tanya. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for the conversation. My name is Amanda Skinnendor. I'm the author of four historical historical novels, soon to be five. Um, I'm also a registered nurse and I live in Las Vegas, Nevada in the United States. And Ria? Hello, I am Ria, Ria Carrigan. By day, I am a communications professional. By the rest of the day and the night, I am a podcast producer of Femon with Tonya and just trying to be creative and also read, thanks to Tonya and Band Books Week. Gary? Hi, um, thank you, Tonya, for having me. I'm very honoured to be here with you and with Amanda and Ria. My name is Sherry Rosenthal. Um, I also go by Taz, that's my nickname. And I'm a professor of English at the College of Southern Nevada here in Las Vegas uh, at work on my second novel. And I'm also the author of a few nonfiction books, short stories, poems, and essays. So Sherry, what what is it about the banned books conversation that interests you? Well, I was thinking about that earlier, and I think what interests me the most is that the banned books movement or trend or tendency or whatever you might call it would even take root in the United States, which is supposed to be a place of freedom and free expression and where there's a a healthy and um, undiluted exchange of ideas. And so there's always been talk of banned books ever since I can remember, but in the past, it was just kind of an idea that people were hoping would not happen. And really speaking only for myself, um, I thought it would not ever happen in the United States. And recently, I think as people have become, um, as a group also much larger than I would have ever imagined, um, suspicious of institutions, suspicious of governments, self-protective and protective of other people, they think, whether these other people want to be protected or not, 
uh, you have fertile soil for a banned books movement, which um, to refer briefly to one of your other questions is kind of a slippery slope. And mm. that's what I'm hoping to be able to talk about and, and hear other people um, give their opinions on today. Maria. I'm not really sure I can top that. Um, <laughs> but I just find banning books and the reasons why so fascinating. It's so interesting when you release the list of books that you're going to cover, Tonya. And I, before I go and Google it, I, I think about, I challenge myself to think about why they've been banned and I have to like get in a certain mindset. And so many times I cannot get the right answer. <laughs> and then it genuinely blows my mind when I then go and look it up and see why. And it's, I find it so... I really agree with you about America and it's supposed to be like the land of the free and so idealized, especially by non-Americans. And yet it is going down this really terrible slippery slope of a few voices get to make these decisions. And I believe these decisions are really damaging and I think they're really dangerous. And it's just these vocal, this vocal minority for really quite, Un, I think quite unethical reasons mm. choose to ban these books and I just find it fascinating and I could spend so much time delving into that and learning more and trying to get in the mindset you know I, I can't get enough of these conversations what are your thoughts on that Amanda certainly like Ria I'm very often surprised at the books that end up on these lists. The, the Kite Runner, the book we're discussing today, I was like, what people want to be on this book? Um, and so, you know, I, I am interested again, also in those reasons um, that certain people find certain books um, offensive. But I also, like Sherry, I really feel that it's, while banning, banning books has been something that has been going on for a really long time, it feels, at the same time, timely and urgent that we're sort of in this struggle for the identity of our society, how we see society, how we define ourselves as a society and who we're going to let have a voice and a perspective and whether we'll be open to many, many voices and perspectives or just to a few very narrow set of voices. And so it, it feels particularly urgent right now. So, Ria, have you ever had an experience with a book that offended you? And if so, how did that affect you? I've had experiences with books that have offended me because they're so terrible. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, you go for it. Like, if you've written this book and you're getting it published and people are buying it and reading it, amazing. Good for you. Like, genuinely, like, I don't think we should be, like, pushing anybody down. Fantastic. In terms of a book that's offended me, there are books that I have read that I don't agree with, that I don't like, and they, they can even be, you know, people. There's a famous uh, British, she's sort of an author, um, she, a journalist. So, so Catelyn Moran is the person I'm talking about, and she's written a book recently called What About Men? And I actually, there's some things in it that I kind of fundamentally disagree with because I don't think they're actually a nuanced conversation that we're having. But I'm not like, oh, ban that book. And so, and that's, and I just think that is a, 
quite again like I said quite frankly a dangerous way of thinking and there's nothing that I would ever like I think Lolita is people take the wrong thing from that book and I think that means that book can be quite dangerous but I don't think the conversation should be about the book the conversation should be about what people are taking away from it how they're interpreting it and I just think banning it means there's no conversation there's no nuance there's no reflecting on ourselves as a society which is again I think I keep on using the word dangerous and I have to like get a thesaurus out um I, I think that's really dangerous as well it's and that's what it that's what all this is doing it's shutting down conversations I've gone a bit off topic and I apologize no it's fine you went on a rant <laughs> <laughs> how about you Sherry have you had an experience oh. with a book that offended you um, I have. Um, I'm not crazy about anything by Ayn Rand. Um, this emphasis on free market capitalism and success at any price. Um, and speaking only for myself, I, I would never ever say that because I'm offended by it, it ought to be banned. But um, the works of Ayn Rand are not to my taste. Um, another thing that's not particular to my taste, but that my students um, tend to love for all the wrong reasons, I believe, is Machiavelli's The Prince, which is a um, kind of instruction manual on how to gain power, how to maintain power over other people, how to manipulate people into thinking that you're, you are doing them good when you're really not doing them good and you're only doing yourself good. Um, that's a very popular uh, thing that, um, in my opinion, way too many people would like to have an understanding of these days so they can put it into personal use. Um, the Ayn Rand and Machiavelli are not to my taste, but that said, I would never ever discourage anyone from reading them, and I would never ever support a ban on those books. Amanda? Similar to what um... Sherry and Rhea have said, there are definitely books that have offended me. Even, you know, our book club just read Justine um, by Lawrence Durrell. And I like the sort of casual sexism, casual racism in the book. It was grating on me, um, but I would never say to ban that book. And I, I think that it's, while I don't really enjoy reading that, we can't forget that 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 was the perspective when he was writing, you know, and and there is something value valuable just in understanding that, and so that's a, again part of the reason um, to to want to keep that book and other books like that um, alive, so that we can be cognizant of that. I think what you said, Rio, was excellent about when we're banning the books, we're closing down the conversation, and that's absolutely not what we want to do, especially with these um, more difficult issues. So Amanda, will you hold up your mug for us? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I ask that because you mentioned that, you know, that's the way it was during his time. And I know that's not the book we're discussing right now, but it was kind of like that when she was writing too. And you could argue that she managed to not just toss tons of casual sexism and racism and all kinds of unfortunate isms of the time in her writing. So it is possible to not do that. That said, I don't think that we should remove books or change the original 
writing of them just because that stuff is offensive to people now. <laughs> is there a scenario in which you feel banning a book is the correct course of action? And if so, what is it? And we'll start with Rhea. For me, the simple answer is no. For all the reasons we've discussed, you cannot have conversations. You are deleting history. You are undermining history. You cannot look forward. And, and I'm talking about like books that maybe we don't like that are bad, that exactly what you're saying. Um, it, it, it's, I think in very specific scenarios when we're look, looking back at books and we're saying, well, the, the world was really bad then and that's what they're writing about. I think it's really important that they stay there for historical purposes so we can discuss it and move on. In terms of the sort of books that get banned that, you talk, that you're talking about in, in Banned Books Week, Tonya, I think they should absolutely not be banned and they should be there to represent everybody. They should be there so that we can hear different diverse voices, different experiences, even if you don't like it, even if you don't agree with it, even if it scares you, even if it's forcing you to have difficult conversations and difficult thoughts, you should have all of those things. And I think there is no reason to ban a book. The, even terrible books that are teaching the world terrible things we cannot have conversations if we pretend they don't exist. And that is bad for humanity. What are your thoughts, Amanda? As I was thinking about this question um, last night, actually, I was, I think my, my immediate feeling is um, aligned with Rhea that no, like we should not be banning any books like, again, because it, it is important to keep them in the conversation. But I did think about um, like a self-harm book. Of, and I don't mean like the book talks about, for example, suicide, but there are there are books, there are certainly, you know, on the internet, things that are like, this is how you harm yourself, right? That, when I, when I thought about that, I was thinking, you know, I would not love for that maybe to be, in the children's section of the library, and I and again, I know that that it, it it I think dovetails into the next question, right, about the slippery slope. But um, I that one I struggled with that idea of like, what do you do with something like that? Um, and I don't have a great answer. You have something to add to that, Ria? I do. I think that's a great point, and I think diet books should be banned. I absolutely think diet books should be banned and they should not be allowed to be published and they should not be allowed to be out in the world. <laughs> I know it's more nuanced than that. I've been talking a lot about nuance, but <laughs> there needs to be a lot less of them and they need to be a lot more responsible. Maybe that's a topic for one of the books for next year. <laughs> if you go. find one that you want to discuss, let me know. <laughs> Sherry, what about you? Um, well, I, I think it's a difficult question and it's a complicated one and it goes to the slippery slope. Um, my feeling is that um, if you start banning anything whatsoever based on whatever it might be, um, because you don't like diet books, because I don't like books that celebrate unbridled capitalism, because somebody else doesn't like a book that, for example, is with the kite runner has um, male child rape. Um, it, as awful as those things are, um, who's going to be the arbiter of what gets banned next? 
Um, I do think that a lot of well-intentioned parents, guardians, teachers, principals um, in the um, elementary, middle school grades going on up to high school uh, are with the best and perhaps the purest of intentions um, wanting children in their charge, um, adolescents, young adults in their charge, not being exposed to things that um, might be, um, in those adults' view, premature for that age group. Um, but even there, um, when you uh, when you restrict what children read, uh, even from a very early age, what you're doing is kind of tantamount to not letting them go with you to the grocery store because there may be somebody there not acting right or not letting them go out with you um, to a meeting that you need to attend, a homeowners association or whatever it is, because somebody there might um, get angry at somebody else and utter a curse word. Um, life is the way it is. Um, it's not gentle a lot of the time. Um, children are not as naive as a lot of us might like to believe or hope. And I think when you ban, um, it, it's fine to explain. Um, it's fine to, you know, to cushion or to present um, what you think would, would make it more understandable uh, or palatable. But when you start banning, then who is to say that um, that you shouldn't ban the next thing that somebody else doesn't like? And you cut people off from life itself. So we've used the term slippery slope here a few times today. Amanda, how does the concept of the slippery slope fit in with the desire to ban books? I think that it is certainly a valid concern that because you know, um, as the others have said, who gets to be the arbiter and of what gets banned? And just because maybe you agree with them banning this book, they could turn around and suddenly ban another book that, that you support. Um, and also, you know, Sherry was speaking, because you know, I think a lot of it does often revolve around children and this impulse to want to protect them. But when we're banning books, we're taking we're taking that parental choice away. I really feel like in a lot of cases, um, because you know, if you don't, if you want to control what your child is finding at the library, go with them to the library, but do not take away the opportunity for another child to find the book that maybe would really speak to them. But if I could really quickly go back to this idea of the slippery slope, I. Just, I think, kind of in general, I, I'm a little bit I'm hesitant, I think, to throw it around too much because there are definitely are many, many examples of slippery slopes. But but sometimes I feel like it becomes this piece of a conversation where someone just said, well, that's a slippery slope and da 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 da. And it, and it shuts down the conversation, right? Mm. Because it's a slippery slope. And I think it's sort of belies the fact that there's a lot of common ground that we can actually find um, before maybe we fall off that slope. And so sometimes I think it can shut down the conversation before you can get there to the finding of, of the common ground. What are your thoughts, Rhea? I mean, 
you've both spoken so brilliantly. I'm not sure what I can add, but I love what you said about parental responsibility. And by banning books, you are as so. If I'm a parent. If I, it is my responsibility that if my child is watching something, reading something, engaging with something, hearing about something, learning about something, it's my responsibility to have those conversations with them. And community feeds into that as well, like school, government, all of that sort of stuff does, but that is my child. And I think it's so important that we take responsibility as that, as a parent, as a guardian, as a caregiver, as important adults in their lives, rather than shutting down the conversation. And that's what banning books does. It goes, I'm me as the caregiver to this child, I am no longer taking responsibility for it. Or I, I've taken responsibility for it, but I'm not going to talk about it. And just shutting down conversations instead of opening up conversations, again, I've, I've really got to think of a different word than dangerous, I think is is not good. And I think you are not being a responsible parent, guardian, or caregiver. And, and that's, again, I love what you just said about slippery slope, what you both said about the slippery slope. I think it's so interesting. I could spend more time talking about it. But yeah, just I just really wanted to reiterate that I think we have responsibilities as individuals in society to have these conversations instead of shutting them down. And that's what banning books does. Sherry, what are, you, what are your thoughts on the slippery slope? Well, um, yeah, I think, um, unfortunately, the slippery slope does fit um, with the desire to ban books. Um, so say that you succeed in banning a book um, in your school district or wherever. So what's next? Um, are you going to go after a certain social studies subject that you don't want your children exposed to? Um, are you going to go after a guest speaker at your child's school that you think might have a, a controversial viewpoint or one you don't agree with or maybe a religious persuasion that isn't your own? Um, are you going to go after um, peanut butter in the lunchroom because um, somebody in the lunchroom might possibly have a peanut allergy? And I'm not um, saying that that any of these concerns are are not valid, but I think we need to to think about the, the the majority public good. And that's where the, the slippery slope um, gets started. Um, also, I'll, you know, I'll venture and go out on a limb. Um, when you start going down that slippery slope, which is so easy to do, this is the seed, this is the root um, of how fundamentalism, fascism, um, and other very strict systems that for, um, that that have some appeal maybe for for people that want things um very clearly spelled out the the do's and don'ts um but um that's how that takes root and and unfortunately um if you find that comfortable to let others make decisions for you then another slippery slope is the assumption that everybody else feels the same way um we have a tremendous polarization in our country right now and there's a um a huge group of people that um that that really are you know flirting with the you know I I, I hate to say it but it's a it, it's a fascist form um and that's not what our country um um started out as that's not what the founders 
held in mind. And that's not, um, I dare say, um, how most Americans want to live. But there are quite a few that do. And um, I I hope that we um, that we keep our freedoms and, and keep our integrity as a nation. And banning or not banning books has everything to do with that. When we start banning books, um, a great many other things are unfortunately close behind. So Sherry mentioned thinking about the majority good. In recent years, there's been a pattern in the themes for the books that get banned. What do you think this pattern says about where we are as a society? And we'll start with Ria. I think what you just said, Sherry, about how polarized society is, I think is so obvious when you talk about banned books. And there's this rift between the left and the right, which in my most negative thoughts, I feel is never going to be healed. I feel like they've just we've just moved too far apart. And I I I find that really frightening that there's often no common ground that any of us can find. And I think banned books can books that get banned completely fall into that that there's no movement on either side so you know I fully support books that are about LGBTQ plus um and I find it atrocious that those books get banned and I as an individual can be really unwilling to listen to somebody on the right talking about why these books are maybe not appropriate because I don't, because I just fundamentally don't agree. And I see myself as a person who is actually really good at listening to other people. But I think it, and I'm talking, this is really when I'm feeling really negatively about the world and not feeling optimistic and positive. And I, you know, and I just feel that those rifts can never be healed when it's, when I feel more positive and more optimistic, I am like, hey, let's just keep on having these conversations. One person who thinks that having this sort of books and materials available can save lives and make the world better is awesome. Changing one person is the best thing. And, and I think that just sums up the, the division and the confusion in the world around these issues at the moment. I'm being really incoherent and I'm aware of that. I'm sorry. You're not. <laughs> I've also just abandoned all my notes in a classic career. Um, and And... And so I, so I just think as society, which is really fractured and it's really sad because I think we can do such good. And at the moment, we're just really in a bad place. If anybody else wants to make me feel better and more positive and optimistic, that'd be wonderful. <laughs> well, let's start Go with you're not, being, you're not being incoherent because what you're saying is you're suffering a rift within yourself. Like you're, you're conflicted on your own. You don't even feel the same way every day. So how can we expect the society mm. who is so far in different directions to come together when you sometimes can't come together with your opposing thoughts? Perfect. Can you just <laughs> do everything for me? Can you can you get all my thoughts out to make sense? That'd be wonderful. Thank you. No, we are a team and you have to, <laughs> you have to stick with me. What are your thoughts, Sherry? Well, um, yeah, in recent years there has been a pattern in um the themes that get that get books banned. Um what I think the the pattern says about where we are as a society, I'll I'll answer it somewhat circuitously, but I but I'll get to my answer. Um I think that um 
there are two kinds of people on the planet. I it, it, It's a little simplistic, but um, I think that um, there are people who um, who have as their dominant way of being mistrust and caution, mistrust and caution, and then I think there are people who um, instead um, rely on courage and hope for the future. And there were some gradations of that, but I think either mistrust and caution or courage and hope for the future, um, one or the other of those of those two qualities in combination um, is true of most people. Not that you can't change and not that you can't go one way or the other depending on your circumstances. But when you talk about liberal, conservative, um, it, I think it, it falls there. Um, the themes I've seen banned recently have a lot to do with sexuality, um, too much, too explicit, too young, gay, et cetera. Um, also, strong language um, tends to get banned a lot, though that isn't a theme, but um, that's a big beef with Huckleberry Finn, which I consider the greatest American novel ever, um, and, but that's banned in a lot of places um, due to the, to the language. Um, a lot uh, comes from the religious right, um, trying um, not to be offended by books and not to to make sure that their children are not offended or not um, introduced to uh, mature themes um, or to have their children exposed to themes that they consider offensive. Um, in my opinion, if you feel that way, um, it's good to express yourself in church. Um, send your children to a church school, um, have them express themselves in church or in their church school, but this should not be imposed on everyone or on everyone's children. Amanda? Well, I think that the um, the trends, the patterns, the themes that Sherry, Sherry and Rhea identified, it speaks to the fact that these issues are being used as a political tool. And we've seen it in the past with integration of schools, with um, reproductive rights, and now a lot of these issues around sexuality and LB LGBTQ rights. Um, and that it <laughs> politicians are using these issues as a way to galvanize their base because they want them to be active. They want them to come out and vote. Um, to so unrest um, as much for just the power of it as for, I think, the the actual belief in what they're doing. And, and that, I think, is really frightening to me that we're willing to, to sacrifice equality and inclusion and just incredibly important human values of love and acceptance for these, these political um, gains. And I know it's not all political. And I know that for people who a lot of people, they have a real fundamental belief behind this. But I think that all of us have to be careful that we're not being stirred by people with political motives. Harry, hmm. you have something to add? Um, yeah, kind of piggyback. Yeah, piggybacking a little on um, what Amanda just said. Um, where we are as a society, um, and I think that you could um, relate it to other societies as well, but um, in America, we're increasingly becoming more tribal. Um, 
that's being driven by politics a lot. Um, a lot of um, splitting off um, with your strong self-interest and an assumption that that's everybody's self-interest or that it should be. Um, and that um, what you perceive as your children's self-interest is supposedly in the interest of everyone's children. Um, and once you develop this kind of conceit, and I do mean it as a, a personality conceit, not as like a conceit within a novel, um, once you develop that sense that you know what is right for everybody, then um, there's your old slippery slope again. Um, mm -hmm. If you write about books, if you write about school subjects, if you write about movies, if you write about politics, if you write about life itself and how everybody should live um, your way, then then where does it ever end? So, Sherry, what do you think is the value in reading books that might be considered offensive by some? Well, I think it's like any um, situation you go into in life itself. Um, you can't live life unless you're going to just sit in your house all the time. And even then you might be offended by something that the handyman comes in and says or does, or if you have the pest control person come in once a month, then, then maybe you don't like the way they say or do something. So um, life itself is full of people that are different from you, that have had a different experience than you've had, are not going to agree with you. Um, it's a little bit like um, beauty in the eye of the beholder. Um, my husband and I agree or disagree with this kind of thing all the time. You know, I, I say she's beautiful. He says she's not. Um, or I say the opposite and, and he believes the opposite thing. Um, a book uh, is written by somebody, um, springs out of their heart and mind um, and when they put that book out there, they have no control over how somebody else, anybody else is going to perceive it. That is that person's right. The same way with anything that happens in life, you go into a movie theater and there are going to be a zillion opinions on um, that movie, Barbie, the Barbie movie. That's a great example right now. Um, so yeah, um, people have the right to live life and to have agency over how they experience things and how they process things. And when somebody else, anybody at all, starts stepping on that, even if they're stepping on the agency of a one-year-old, then that's banning, that's cutting off people's authentic experience. And I believe that that is, um, and you may not look at it that way if you're the banner, but you are dehumanizing that person or those people. You're making their life less than it could and should and ought to be. What about you, Amanda? Well, I think what Sherry said was excellent. Um, I would say, you know, too, that reading banned books can open your mind to new perspectives that, you know, maybe you were not aware of or open to before. And also, I think, I think this is just terribly important that people find themselves, people who have been otherwise marginalized, they find themselves in these stories. And that is incredibly important because we all need and deserve to know that there is a community out there of people who, who are like us and the way that, and who have had similar experiences. And, and um, so I think I'm, I'm, it's sort of a 
both sides of the coin there, right? Like it's so important for people to be able to see themselves in, in stories. And it's also so important for us to see and read stories that we don't see ourselves in because then we can see the other perspective. And both of those are just incredibly important. Rita. Feeling really emotional about what, what you're both saying. Um, I just, I think books that are, di- that are diverse are so important and we cannot be the best we can be as people and as society without them. And I, you know, I, I totally agree with you, Sherry, that if you don't agree with it, go off into your safe space and be in your safe space about it, but don't take that away from someone else. Tonya, a, a few months ago, told the most wonderful story on a podcast about uh, vampires, um, about how she went to, she was walking down the road and she saw a billboard of the film Bell, um, which, by the way, if you haven't seen, is absolutely amazing. And and just listen, go and listen to the podcast and listen to Tonya's story of how she suddenly found somebody who was like her on a big billboard and I think about that so much and how important that is and the idea that you find this offensive so therefore you're going to take it away from everybody else and from people whose it can literally save lives not by you know unfortunately people do take their own lives but by transforming somebody's life so they can be the person they are supposed to be and that they feel inside and taking that away from them is horrible it's it's one of the worst things that you can do and I also don't believe that we can be an equal and equitable society without ensuring that books because the books we are talking about come on the books we are talking about isn't people aren't banning the bible people are banning books about um uh, about uh, LGBTQ plus, they're banning books about race. They're banning books where people get to see themselves. They are banning the things that are people in the world that are society, and they deserve to be seen and they deserve to be heard. And it is you're taking this away, and it's horrible. And and you think you're doing the right thing, but you're doing the right thing for you and not for everybody else. And it's selfish. And it's selfish. And it just, and it it just makes me so angry. I've lost my words. I'm getting <laughs> so angry. My voice went really high pitched. And for me, as an individual, it's really important. I'm bringing myself back. It's really important for both for me as an individual to read books that are outside of my scope, outside of the world that I have lived. It's important that I engage with these things. It's important that I educate myself about these things, and not rely on other people to educate me on them. Like. I have to take responsibility for that as an individual for me. I have to do that for my child as well. And I seek out books that have protagonists that have a different skin color to her, that have different religions to her, who have parents that are LGBTQ+, that have parents that are grandparents or that are just guardians, that have this whole diverse range. And I cannot create this awesome little human being that I made. I cannot make her into a good adult without giving her this information and that without exposing her to these things and again I have to take personal responsibility for that 
again I've gotten angry and I've had my rant this will be my last rant <laughs> oh don't say that <laughs> <laughs> we know it won't be passion it's gonna be a passion <laughs> No, I do want to touch on something that you said to go back to the slippery slope. The Bible has, in fact, been banned. It's one of the most banned books in the world. I consistently. knew it when I said it. I knew you were going to do that because <laughs> we've had this conversation before. I think, funny enough, with Dan, who yes. you were on the podcast talking about the film Bell with. And as soon as I said it, I was like, she's about to tell me it was banned. <laughs> it was banned. I mean, it's been banned for for years, for decades. But more specifically, it's been banned recently because all of this activity to ban books, okay, anything that has this, 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 mm-hmm. this, this or in it, guess what? It's all in the Bible. So mm-hmm. it it was also removed with all of the things. Like there is a school system that was just like, let's just remove everything that might be considered offensive. The Bible has all of those things on the checklist. <laughs> so that was the slippery slope working in the other direction. Sherry, you had something to add. Yeah, I read a study recently, just adding on to what Rhea just said, um, children that that read um, like read novels or just read children's picture books, but read um, two hours a day as a, as a habit. Um, there was some um, test done, um, there, there was an actual study done that um, they have more empathic reactions um, to other people than than children that, that don't read. So um, I think reading widely, uh, reading about a wide variety of people, uh, especially people maybe whose experience does not reflect your own, people with different skin colors, um, religious um, orientations or um, or any orientation that that challenges maybe the way that you think about things day to day makes you more empathic and makes you a better citizen of the world early on. And um, I really can't think of anything better for our world than than that. Well, Amanda, we'll start with you for this next question because you are the resident author. You have four published novels. What effect should an author's intentionality versus the reader's interpretation have on discussing book bans. I was watching recently uh, an interview with Jamie Ford, who wrote, among other novels, The Hotel on the Corner of Bitter and Sweet. And I, I really loved what he said about, about books in general. He, he talked about books as a circle, but that the author is only creating maybe two thirds, three quarters of that circle. And then the circle is completed by the reader. And I just really love that analogy because I do very much think that the experience of a book is both the author's intention and the reader's interpretation. And I think both are important. I think both are valid and they both belong in the discussion of banned books. Barry, you're an author. What are your thoughts? Um. I think this is a very hard question, um, and I, I think that books, you know, like beauty or um, anything that's subjective that I talked about um, in, in the previous questions, um, are it's a beholder experience. The reading of the book is a beholder experience, and of course, so is the writing of a book. Um, and how many author interviews um, have we all seen where the author expresses surprise and um, astonishment even? Um, at the public response to their work that, oh, well, 
people took it this way, but this was not at all what I intended. And that really underscores how little control um, an author has over their words, phrases, um, um, a whole book when it went to put out there. So you put your ideas out there, they take on a life of their own. Um, that's the risk of, of publishing fiction uh, or, or publishing any group of words. And um, publishers these days are very cautious about what might offend. Um, but my cynical view is that this has more to do with economics than with um, with any real concern about that. So we get an interesting case of publishers kind of self-censoring because the public might be offended mm. and the public doesn't get a chance to um, to really decide for itself what offends it and what doesn't. And um, I think that may be um, another dangerous thing um, started again with the best of intentions. Um, and yeah, I mean, all of this really does, you know, I'm sorry for the cliche, but you know, it really does make me think about the road to hell and it, it's not that bad, but, um, but when Yet. You into, yeah, some, somebody, um, even, you know, very full heartedly and with full generosity and a desire to protect and everything that we all want for our children and those we love. Um, when you get somebody, anybody at all, um, even with generous intentions like that, calling the shots, then um, then by its very nature, you've got the wrong shots being called. So um, intentionality on the part of the author, intentionality on the part of the reader, um, in a healthy society, you just have to let it rip. Um, it, is, it doesn't mean that somebody or other isn't going to be offended. It doesn't mean that somebody or other isn't going to be hurt. But you can be hurt walking out your front door and stooping down for the newspaper if there's a crack in the sidewalk and you fall down and, um, and injure yourself. So, you know, we, we can't live in a risk-free world. Rhea. You're the yeah. reader here. What are your thoughts? Let's complete the circle with the reader. <laughs> well, you you stole the thoughts out of my mouth, but do it much more eloquently than I can. I was thinking about this question. I was thinking about it, funny enough, as a reader. I, I, I've never written anything. Um, it, you know how most people want to write books? I don't think that's what I want to do. I don't. I, I just... Everybody's got a book in them, right? Maybe I do. I don't think it's going to... It's not something I'm planning on doing. So I was very much thinking about it as a reader. And what I was thinking about is you can read something and be offended or think, oh, that's not right. And then it's about the actions that you take. And so it doesn't matter. I mean, it, of course it matters, but like, so it doesn't really matter what the author, the publisher is putting out in the world. It does matter. I'm being very blanket for anybody that asks me. Um, but as a reader, if there's something I don't like, if there's something I'm offended by, it's what I'm, how I'm then reacting or being as an individual. I'm, I'm really not expressing this very well, but so, so say there is, I don't know, I so a great example actually. I talked about this last year on Discord with a, with a group of people. Uh, my kids gotten really into Disney. It was inevitable. It was going to happen. Um, in a charity shop, found a Peter Pan book and was reading the book. 
and there are some incredibly offensive depictions of <laughs> indigenous people <laughs> in that book um I'm laughing because I'm thinking back to it and thinking oh god and like I was reading it and I was like the first time I read it with her I just took those words out and then the second time I changed those words and then the third time I was like I'm avoiding having this conversation because she's four and I don't know how to talk about it with a four-year-old and then I put the words back in and I and obviously she noticed because she was like clearly you're changing the story and I had to have a conversation with her. And I was like, why am I avoiding this conversation? Because it's hard work. And, and I think that's what I'm trying to get to. I think sort of the, of course, the intentionality matters. I don't want to offend anybody. Um, but as a reader, it's about what I then do with my thoughts and my feelings about it and how I inflict that on the world around me, if that makes sense. Yes, and thank you for sharing that because not many people would own up to something like that. I think you hit the root of it. People don't want to do the work. Got to do the work and you've got to do the work. And I talk about people doing the work. We had this whole thing a few years ago about the HPV vaccine and how we could have eradicated HPV, but we cannot do it in the UK because parents do not want to talk to their teenagers about sex. Mm. And so therefore we've got a thing that can kill women still going around and we could eradicate it because people do not want to have those conversations. I get wound up on this on a regular basis, but with the Peter Pan book, I was not applying that to myself because I was avoiding a difficult conversation. And it's like, I was like, I've got to apply this to myself because then I'm not doing learning. I'm relying on others and we cannot do that as a society. Away from me a bit. Harry, you have something to add? Yeah, it's just that um, yeah, I agree so wholeheartedly with what you just said, Ria. And if it, it it is hard work, but if people don't do the work, um, if they don't fill in those cracks, if they don't answer those questions, then the natural human tendency is for people that have questions to answer the questions on their own in their own way to seek out other sources of information, um. And the questions aren't going to go away. The misunderstandings and the the information deficits aren't going to go away just because somebody or other, a parent, a teacher, a clergy person, um, even an author shying away from a particular subject because it may be too controversial. The questions don't go away just because somebody or other doesn't want to do the work. And that's precisely what gives way to the banning and and all of the rest of it that that is so counterproductive. Well, now let's talk about today's ban book. Published in 2003, The Kite Runner tells the story of Amir and his journey for redemption after a horrific act of betrayal when he was 12 years old. With a list of literary awards almost as long as its list of challenges, this book has met with opposition since its release. Sherry, how did you first learn about this book? Well, I first learned about it. I, I read it the year that it came out. I'm a member of the cover to cover book group at the Rainbow Branch of the Clark County Library District. And so Deborah Tinsler, the librarian at the time leading that group, had our group read the book. And then um, after that, a couple of years, um, 
in, in the future, I was putting together for College of Southern Nevada a course on the contemporary novel. And the editor I was working with from Pearson suggested that I put that book in. And I remembered from reading it that um, that I liked it very much. And so I did put it into my course, um, English 278, the contemporary novel at CSN. And I also wrote a textbook to go along with that, um, it, to be used in that course that had an essay that I wrote on the Kai Runner. Rhea, how did you hear about it? So I can't remember exactly. I know I read it when it was a paperback, so it wasn't when it first came out. And I can't remember if I read it and then lent it to my mum or my mum read it and then lent it to me. But I I remember the the sort of urgency around going, you need to read this book, like one of us to the other. And, and I remember reading it. And in the UK, we don't really get taught about, I've talked about this quite a lot, history of other countries especially ones where we may have had a hand at making things not great um that's a history we in the uk like to cover up and not talk about we only talk about the good things that we did and there's not many of those so we pretend all of the bad things we did were good um and i remember being like this is a huge uh, blank space in my mind of of this history and being really I can't think of the right word. I don't think invigorate is the, is the right word. That's a terrible word to use. Um, but so interested in the history, uh, the Afghani history, but also on having an unlikable protagonist, a protagonist that's not very good. Um, I think, so I've moved on a bit because I just really want to talk about the book now. Um <laughs> And I and and I remember my mum feeling the same way, and sort of it was like I'm not sure this is a book I can recommend, but I'm making you read it. I'm recommending it to you. Type of conversation that we had between us. Amanda, like Ria, I don't remember when I first read it. It was definitely paperback, but pretty soon. But then I would say the first five years of it coming out, and I so I must have heard about it with word of mouth. And I, and I do remember that. I remember just that there was a lot of buzz, for lack of a better word, around that book. And then feeling that, you know, like you were talking about just, just this compulsion of this is amazing. I need to share it with other people. So, Rhea, you, you talked about your reaction once you read it. But prior to reading the book, what attracted you to it? I think it was just everywhere and people were talking about it. And, you know, I'm a sucker for that. <laughs> I like, you know, people are talking about this book. But it, again, it was because it was so specifically about Afghanistan. And, you know, 2002. So you, you knew that going into it. Okay. Yes, I knew that going into that. There were lots of conversations about Afghanistan in, in 2003, sorry. You know, and so it was kind of like, what is this book going to bring? What is it about this book that everybody's talking about? what is it about either me recommending it or my mum recommending it to me sort of that sort of like you 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 have to read this so we can talk about it so we can have a conversation about it that's the feeling I can remember it was quite a long time ago but I but when you said I was assigned this book I kind of got that feeling again I've not read it since when I first read it like I remembered a lot of it but it's not a book I've revisited at all and and I started getting that feeling again, that sort of like fizzy, 
ooh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go and read this book and and then I was talking to you, Tonya. I went down this wormhole of learning about uh, Afghanistan history, about the about the um, Taliban, about j- just everything. And I sort of wish I'd had those tools when I first read it because it was really mm. it, it, it was really interesting and educational and made me much more thoughtful about it when I read it this time. Amanda, what elements attracted your attention before you read it? Again, I think very similar. I it was very much just that I was hearing from people that this was a good book, and I wish I <laughs> I wish I had a. I remember my reading experience of the book so much, just that it was so powerful and the scene in the alley, we'll never forget that stands out maybe as one of the most vivid scenes of a novel that I've ever read. And yet <laughs> the other pieces of, around it, um, I don't remember, like I don't remember, obviously it was very, very timely because there was the war going on. Um, but I, I don't remember that being a draw of the book or part of the discussion. I'm sure that it was. I just, I think by the time I got the book and read the book, I was so overwhelmed by the story that some of those other things, pieces kind of, um, fell away. What about you, Sherry? Well, um, kind of in, in, in keeping with the theory that I have, the, the more you tell somebody how bad something is or how wicked <laughs> it is or how they shouldn't partake of it, the more they want to. Um, you, you can tell somebody, um, don't think about polar bears and that's all that's on their mind all of a sudden or um, don't eat blueberries for a month and they, they weren't even thinking of eating blueberries, but they, they now want them right away. Um, Afghanistan, this wicked place, uh, where all of these bad things were supposed to be happening, um, where um, there was a war taking place, the fact that Afghanistan is still very much in the news, um, the decade of the book's publication, and, and in a very bad way, um, and just being extremely superficial, um, I was very taken by a cover shot, um, Time Magazine cover shot, of um, a young female Afghanistani refugee um, with kind of rusty hair and very um, vividly translucent green eyes, and one of the prettiest pair of eyes I've ever seen. And then, um, because I'm very sucked in by physical beauty and very aware of it, I decided to investigate um, what other Afghanis looked like. And so I went to Google Images and I feasted my eyes on these very beautiful Afghani people. And um, my favorite color combination is some kind of um, dark or red, um, you know, a, a hair that's different from blonde. I, I like blonde hair too, but, you know, a kind of a, a darker color hair. And then um blue or, or green or hazel eyes. And um, many of the Afghans have that coloring. So I, I it's the most superficial reason in the world, but I, I, I drew, I, I grew very intrigued with Afghanistan as a setting, both because I found the people beautiful, the pictures of them that I could see, 
uh, that I could find online. And Afghanistan was supposed to be this horrific place where all of these bad things happened. So the combination of those two things just made me, yeah, I remember when the librarian passed it out, she had some closing remarks. I wasn't even listening. I was just diving right into the book. And uh, I think I it went home. I, I read the whole thing in about, um, yeah, I, I stayed up late at night and I, I read it in, in one big gulp. Amanda, now that you've read the book, what do you think made it polarizing to the point of being banned? Hmm. Um, so I was thinking that certainly the sexual abuse pieces of the novel might have something to do with that. I also thought, um, and I'm happy to be incorrect in this thinking, but I was afraid that there were also, that it was being banned because of the, the religious aspects, the fact that, you know, at that time, especially, there was a lot of anti-Muslim sentiment in the United States and um, certainly, you know, anti-Afghani sentiment. So I was afraid that there were components of that too that led to it being banned. I I totally did not even question at all the language when, when I read that that was one of the reasons that people were offended by the book. I was like, there was bad language in this book. <laughs> That went way over my head. But... What about you, Sherry? Um, okay, I, I actually wrote down my answer to this because I don't want to leave anything out. There's a whole cornucopia, <laughs> a whole Las Vegas uh, of people that would be offended. So here goes. Um, if you're a fundamentalist Muslim, such as Taliban or ISIS, you'll be very offended by it. If you're afraid of fundamentalist Muslims or feel you should try and protect them from being offended, you'll pretend you're offended. If you're Afghan and you only want positive pictures and impressions of Afghanistan out there, you'll be offended um, on your own behalf and on behalf of your country and how you think other people should perceive your country. You'll be offended if you just like strong language or if you're trying to protect someone else from strong language. You'll be offended if you just like sexuality and literature or want to try and shield your children or someone else you're trying to protect from sexuality in literature. Finally, um, it presents very violent descriptions of homosexual sex, um, which is certainly far from the only um, way to view or to experience gay sex. There are a lot of other ways um, to write about, um, read about, or experience gay sex, um, some quite beautiful. Um, gay sex in this book is limited to male rape, um, but there is more than that to gay sex. So if you're gay and reading this, um, you could and probably will be offended by these limited descriptions. You came prepared. Yeah, I I gave it a lot of thought because see, I, I wasn't offended. And when, when I'm not offended, I'm kind of, you know, mind boggled. So um, I, I really tried to think it through, you know, who would be offended and why. What about you, Rhea? I mean, that's not fair. <laughs> I'll follow that. <laughs> I didn't amazing. know she was going to come with that a dissertation. Was so amazing. Um, it was amazing. <laughs> I did my exercise of thinking about why it would be banned um, using knowledge from a very long time ago, uh, trying to think why. And the reason I came up with was again, was a conversation we were having in Femon actually when we said we're doing this. Um, doing this book and Alison said oh was it banned because it humanizes Afghani people mm. and I was like that has to be why it was banned 
So before I Googled it, I was like, she's nailed it. That's absolutely why it was banned. Um, and then I went and read the reasons why it was banned. And I was like, wow, I really don't think it makes the Taliban look cool, guys. I was like, because one of the reasons it was banned is because it, it like glamorizes the Taliban. It might make people be like, oh, I really want to join the Taliban. And I was like, what? Like, <laughs> I mean, if those people read this and want to join the Taliban, they wanted to join the Taliban anyway. Like, this is this is not motivating them to do it. Like, okay. Um, and then the you know the other reason is because of the depiction of the rape. Um, and I think that when if a child is reading this book, and again, a child a child should not be reading this book. This is far above a child's comprehension. But you know. Uh, you know, I, I yeah. Can, to be I, fair, this is upper high, like it's high school yeah. curriculum, but that, and, that's still considered children to some. But when you just say children, it yeah, it doesn't paint yeah. this this impression of five year olds going in and reading about this. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> oh my, nearly five year olds reading novels all over the place. Oh god, there are some parents that totally say that, aren't they? They're really annoying. Um, and I was like. I can understand why you think this is worrying material, but this happens. And it's the way it's dealt with in this book, I think is not exploitative and is actually really unique. And I think it's important that it shows, so I've moved on slightly again, I am sorry, but I think it's really important that it shows Amir not stepping in and being the hero so used to reading stories and being told stories where somebody steps up and be the and it becomes the hero and he doesn't do that and people don't do that they don't that is not real human life and so then I was trying to think that in the context of people banning it because of because of the, the truly horrific rape scene that happens to Hassan and then the sexual abuse his son experiences and it's these are things that happen and it's okay that these bad things happen. It, it's not, ugh, that was, I'm going to edit that out. These things happen <laughs> and I'm going to start again because then I laugh. These things happen and it's okay to tell the story that these things have happened. And so I find the reasons it was banned really shocking so like I can kind of get on board I can't I can't I'm being very reasonable here with why religious people won't enjoy a book that is about a gay couple right I try my hardest to understand where they're coming from and I don't agree with them but I try my hardest to get in that mindset this book being banned because of the things that happen I think takes away what this book is actually about it's focusing solely on the rape and the sexual abuse and that's not what this book is about and it misses the fundamental point of this book and of the storytelling and distills it down into one particular scene and a, and a scene later and I just and I find that I can't comprehend why you would read this book and that's the only thing that you take away from it, which makes me question if they banned it because they actually read it or they just heard about the scene and then banned right. it. And, you know, um, so, yeah, I, I kind of reading the reasons it was banned. I can't get on board with them. 
I just can't. And I think, Sherry, what you said was so interesting because uh, it did get banned in Afghanistan because it didn't show them in a particularly great light. And people criticised the author because they were saying, you know, well, you're not going in the in the intricate details of the differences between the different people that lived in Afghanistan. It's one book. It can't do all of that. It's telling a very particular story. Oh, I can't stand that argument. And so, yeah, I, I just find the reasons for it to be banned really not substantial, which is why, you know, most banned books are not substantial. The reasons they're banned are not. And there are such a variety of reasons that it was either challenged or banned. The sexual content, the sexual violence, the language, Islamophobia being pro-Taliban, offensive language, unsuited to age group, religious viewpoint, and not particular not not depicting Afghanistan in a favorable light like how are all of these things true according to you know I, I'm just going to focus on two of the actual bannings that happened because there's this one has just a plethora of challenges since it was released according to Marshall University's banned book site which has been extremely helpful in doing this series it says that in response to one parent's complaint, a Cedarburg High School in Wisconsin removed this book from their 10th grade curriculum. Though the child had been provided an alternate text to read, the parent believed the novel's depictions of sexual assault, depression, and attempted suicide were inappropriate and requested that teaching of the novel be suspended for all current and future students. And then Afghan American readers were particularly critical towards the depiction of Pashtuns as oppressors and Hazaras as the oppressed. Hosseini responded in an interview that they never say I'm speaking about things that are untrue. Their beef is, why do you have to talk about these things and embarrass us? Don't you love your country? Uh -huh. What do you think about these criticisms, Rhea? Uh, <laughs> right i won't say what my initial reaction is no um, do. <laughs> fuck off uh is my i went with you reaction. first for a reason <laughs> <laughs> again that create that has don't no give nuance. her time to filter <laughs> <laughs> that has no nuance but fuck off um the one parent oh jeez let others talk because i'm just gonna be angry okay how about you amanda well, I, to the to the one the one parent comment, I do. You know, you had mentioned this, Ria, just that this happens, and sexual violence against children happens a lot more than people care to acknowledge. And I, this just feels like the the opposite thing we need to be doing, as if pretending that it does, like pretending it doesn't happen, doesn't help. It doesn't solve the problem, um, and so that it doesn't protect anyone but the. <laughs> the attackers yes yes so it's it's a, that is it's a hurtful thing um to the to the other criticism um about depicting afghani culture i think that we see that quite a bit right now with critical race theory and people you know not wanting to look at our own very very the very very terrible aspects of our american history and you know, I I don't agree with that impulse both, of course, because I think it's incredibly important that we do see that, 
that we do look at that. I don't think that we can move forward um, as a country and heal from these things and and do you know make reparations for these things by ignoring them. Um, but it doesn't mean that I don't love my country, right? I I think I think you love your country all the more because you want to take a a true look at it. And I would say, from the perspective of America, as a, from the perspective of American reading about Afghanistan, for me, seeing that we are not alone in the United States in our cruelty, in in our um, just our divisions, right? Um, whether it's these religious divisions between the Sunni and the Shia, or the ethnic divisions that the book talks about, sometimes you do feel like. We are the only people on this globe that are that 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 have these struggles, and it is for me. Um, it gives me hope in a weird way <laughs> when I see that it is not a uniquely American thing, because I do believe I do believe that we can get beyond these things, um, but not certainly not by not looking at them and pretending that they don't exist. Very. Well, um, it, it's hard to always have a robust appetite for truth when the truth isn't that flattering to you. And even if somebody is made not to feel quite good about themselves, maybe they had a friend that they weren't so good to when they were seven or eight or 10 years old. But uh, getting back to what I said earlier about children that that read a lot um in um in the early years building more empathy um it kind of reminds me of that um poem by A.E. Hausman Terrence this is stupid stuff that um if you um if you expose yourself little by little every day to uncomfortable truths by never shirking reality and never um shying away from the truth, whatever it is, then you have a greater tolerance for it when it reflects maybe not so positively on you. And um, when you ban or shy away from or hide from experiences that could be painful or maybe not so flattering to the self, then that gives you a lower tolerance for them. Um, so there's something in this book for just about everybody to dislike, um, even if it's a not so flattering um, memory of, of your own self as a child. Um, I had a friend that that I treated not so well, and um, the story of Amir and Hazan um, has haunted me for, I don't know, almost 20 years. Um, would I prefer to not think about that? Yeah, but it's good for me to think about it. So I don't ever, ever treat anybody else like that again. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, that's why it's good to reflect on the truth about yourself and the truth about life, even if it's maybe kind of painful. And I would Amanda. say real quick that um, yeah. what, you know, you were you were talking about Sherry. Like we, we do a lot of talking about why the things that people might be offended with the book, but this this theme of 
redemption, this theme of, uh, you know, atonement, and also the theme of failing in the moment, right? And not standing up for the ones you love. Like that's, these, they're so incredibly important. Like there's so much that this book offers that even if there are these pieces that you disagree with, perhaps we can consider the book as a whole and see that it, I, I think it just offers so much, both from an individual level, from, a, from the ability to be inspired, from that ability to be reflective about yourself. And then of course, from the craft side too, as just a, as an amazing work of fiction, that um, these need to be weighed against these other things too. And they have incredible merit. Well, you're getting me all emotional, Amanda. <laughs> As I want to ask you, what was your emotional reaction to reading the book? I did. I, I as they say, like I felt all the feels. Um, as I would, I so you know, I had read it years ago, and then um, for the discussion, I listened to it, and it was I didn't realize, and the author narrates it, which is yes. amazing and so cool to like realize at the end. I was like, whoa, that's so neat. Um, but at the, I will just say, at the. Um, the very end, the very, very end, I was both smiling and crying. And um, and I honestly, I don't cry in books that often, but this just, it really, really moved me in, in a myriad of ways. And without candy coating the end, right? Without saying, and everything was all fine, wrapped yeah. up in a bow, everything's yeah. perfect, happily ever yeah. after. It wasn't that at all. Yeah. And that, yeah, that would have, you know. That would have ruined the book. Yeah. Because it felt so realistic until mm -hmm, then. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yet this ending it the way it did, it still allowed you to have that hope. I think if it right. ended. A realistic amount of hope. Not, yes. see, yeah. everything can just be all right after that. No, it can't. But there could still be moments of good. Yeah. There is hope for better. Yeah. Sherry, what was your emotional reaction to the book? Well, um, I was very moved by it um and it's an emotional reaction on my first reading that stayed with me all these years um going on 20 years and rereading it again um after another 20 years of life um i think i was even more and more deeply and more maturely moved by it um it showed me um the good and the bad of the human condition, humanity at its best and humanity at its worst, um, shame and redemption, cruelty and compassion, um, sin and virtue, beauty and ugliness, um, cowardice and bravery, creativity and authoritarianism, hatred and love, hopelessness and hope. And I, I think that the great power of this book, um, and I think it's enormously skillful on his part, especially for a first novel, is the way that he creates the tension and interplay continuously between all of these various oppositions. And even at the end, it's better, but it's not perfect. And it's more than he would have hoped for when he first brought Saurabh out of Afghanistan, but it's not more than he's still hoping for. And, you know, we're, we're always unfinished. Um, it's never quite how we want it, but we need to keep working toward it. 
whatever that is. And I think that's another reason why, you know, if you like things black and white, if you like things all wrapped up in a, you know, with a pretty bow and um, presented as an attractive package, then then this book really challenges that because that that's not how it ends. But it, it does end better than it started, uh, much, much mm -hmm. so. And um, it ends with compassion and hope. And also, don't ever give up on somebody, however hopeless it might seem. Maria. So I breezed into this very confident. I was like, I've read this before. I want to read this book so quickly. I don't have much free time. Uh, I have lots of things going on in, the, in my life. I was like, oh, I'll be getting through this. I know all the story beats. I'll know what will be happening. And on this read of it, after like chapter one, I was like, oh no, I'm going to take it slow. I'm going to experience this book. I'm not going to speed read through it because I've read it before. I'm not going to be like, oh yeah, I've read that sentence. I'll quickly go on to the next one type of thing. You know, that sometimes you can do when you've been asked to read a book. Um, and so first of all, very grateful, Tonya, because I don't have a lot of free time and I don't spend it reading books. And I now am. And it's wonderful and I'm really enjoying it. And it's just making my life so much better. I've, I've not read a book probably since I got COVID in January time. Mm. So it's been a long time. And I stopped and I took this book in and I put aside time every day, whether it was in my lunch break or in the evening before going to bed to read it. And I had so many powerful emotions in reading it I don't have time to sum them all up so I'm going to go, go as fast as I can considering I started this quite slow the first one was about the world building of Afghanistan of the colors of the houses of the people of the food mm. the food I couldn't stop thinking about the food I could smell things I could I could see things I could see the pomegranates the red of the pomegranates of that tree and then later in the book when the, the tree's dead and it's not bearing any fruit I saw it I saw that in my mind I've not watched the film of this by the way so I have no idea if this is in the film but I saw a still picture of this book of though of the pomegranate tree of them sitting under it and it being ripe and fruitful of youthfulness and then of their childhood being destroyed of it no longer being there and Amir having to reconcile that and of what he can do to create the world better. I saw abuse from Amir's dad. Now, I've had a lot of reckoning with parental abuse over the last few years and it is not all physical. It is not the big mental abuse, controlling abuse. It's often the small things that then we as adults have to untangle. So we don't pass it on to our partners, our friends, our children, our found family in our lives. And, and untangling that's really difficult. And then seeing that in a book, the way his dad treats him, you understand why he's kind of not a great guy. And I was like, God, that's so interesting that we're being presented with this protagonist that is not a good person. And we are being told exactly why. You know, we get these books I'm about to talk about Fifty Shades of Grey. Fifty Shades of Grey, and I hate people like, oh, isn't it interesting that he he likes S&M because he was abused? No, fucking bullshit. That's not a real, like, this isn't bad conversation. I don't have that conversation. This is the trauma. This book shows the trauma that parents can pass on 
to their children and then how those children go and seek that in other places. I love how he's then, when they move to America, where he's seeking relationships from, where he's seeking his centre from, because he doesn't have his own centre. And he's finding that from other adults when he's back in Afghanistan. When he's in America, he's seeking it from his writing. He's seeking it from outside praise. And then how he's lost again when his father dies and then his secondary father figure calls him and, and, and that's the man that compels him to do so. I was like, holy shit, when do, we get to, when do we get to see this about men, right? We're not allowed to see emotionally flawed men in our media because that's not what the media wants to present us. And they were seeing that in this book. And I was like, shit, like, oh, I can't believe I haven't picked this up in like 20 years. What am I doing? And then, and then just, the, I said I'd be quick, I'm so sorry. And then the ending, I love that it's unfinished because stories don't end. Trauma doesn't just resolve itself. Unfortunately for all of us human beings, we'll be on our deathbeds with some sort of trauma still unresolved because that is living. And just that connection between the guardian and their child is really important and really unusual that it's not tied up in a neat little bow. And it made me think about parenting. It made me think about both myself, the way I was parented. It made me think about people in my life who are my found family and their found family. It made me think about how we can have hope in really difficult and trying times. And, and I'm, you know, it's so heartbreaking when he says his wife, Saurabh, is she's just given up. Like all she wanted was a kid and she's just given up and he's not giving up because he feels like he constantly has to atone. And in this one moment at the end, it's not to atone. He's not doing it because he feels he has to. He's doing it because he's compelled to, because it reminds him of this moment in his childhood with Hassan that was pure, that was pure. And it's he's doing it for him and he transfers that across and brings and brings him in, brings Hassan's son into that. And there's no words spoken. There's no, it's not deliberate. It's just happening. And I'm just like, isn't this the human experience? Isn't that like the ultimate human experience? I've totally, I'm not looking at any of my notes. I'm just telling you all my emotions now. And I just, this book is for me, and I, I've not read all the books in the world, but it's unusual because it can speak to you in all of these different ways and explore so many different things in this one small book. And I think the reasons people are shocked by it and are upset by it and banning it are not understanding the whole book and the story that we are being told. And I think it's it's just really, maybe, I mean, maybe I'm thinking too much about this book, maybe I'm thinking too much, but it's it, it can be a book that can really make you think about yourself and your world and other people and make connections in your mind about how you want to live your life. And it also tells you it's okay if you've done bad things, like we're not perfect. I love what you've both said about 
about looking about reflecting on ourselves and looking back on ourselves and we you know and I said as well we're not always the heroes and that's okay and I think we need to have more stories about that so we can forgive ourselves and we can make changes and we can make a difference and I've lost all my words there we go finished you said what needed to be said and that feels like a wonderful place to end the show do either of you have anything to add for why people should read this book sherry go ahead i think that you should read it to learn about your own weaknesses and failings um i think you should read it um as a friend or a brother or sister parent child of a parent um and how there's always hope for redemption if you've been imperfect in any of those roles. Um, I think you should read it to learn of the dangers and they're they're real and concrete um, in today's world, in our nation and in other nations, um, of putting all your hope and trust um, in any one leader or charismatic figure or authoritarian person or authoritarian system. Um, and I think you should also read it to um, remind yourself, if you don't know already, um, or to learn that there's no utopia or paradise on Earth, including the United States. Um, and you should read it to encourage yourself to always persist and avoid giving up on yourself or anybody else. Anything to add, Amanda? I would say that what Sherry and Rhea have said really speaks to I think the, the core reasons that, that this book is important. Um, one thing that I would just add that was unique and for my experience, I think reading it now after we have left Afghanistan was, I just, I feel like it's important for us yeah, to examine what happened these past mm -hmm. 20 years in Afghanistan, where we have, left them and the you know the situation that's going on right now i feel like there's this feeling of i don't want i don't want to examine that i don't want to look at that um and we we can't we can't do that i mean i really that's the whole crux of the conversation today right like we've got to we've got to we can't shy away from looking at these things like sherry said that make us uncomfortable and that and i did like that about this about reading this book is it it really made me think in the context of today and and where Afghanistan is and the part that we played in that. Um, I just think that's important to explore. And the book, not directly at all, but, and, but that's a great thing about books, right? Like there are things beyond the story that it makes, that it sparks conversation and makes people think about and at least a great book. And that's, I think, another reason that this is a great book. Rhea, any final rants? <laughs> no, I, I mean, I completely agree. I sort of suggest when you're feeling emotionally robust to go down a wormhole of the history of, of Afghanistan and the Taliban and exactly what you're talking about, Amanda, our involvement as the Western world. I think it's an incredibly important lesson. And if this book is a gateway to that, it's great. I think it's really important to remember that refugees are us, that they are human beings, and this book talks about that. Um, 
I think we can forget that in a lot of the political madness. Um, so I think it's really important to maybe go and look at the refugee crisis. It sparked something for me, which was years and years ago, we went to, my partner and I went to Sweden and they had a uh, photography exhibition there and it was about Syrian refugees. And I came out of it absolutely devastated because uh, they are just like, hey, here's a picture of a human being and here's their story and how horrific it is. And this book brought back those feelings for me when Amir and his father moved to America and how they are no longer human beings, basically, apart from within their own community and how that community struggles. I think that's a really important thing to take away from this book as well. I am now just rambling. Um, thank you. Every thank you, Tonya, for signing me this book. Thank you, uh, Sherry and Amanda. I, I, my mind is slightly blown from talking to you both. Um, Didn't I tell you they were amazing? You did tell me they were amazing. <laughs> and I'm trying to think of something really intelligent to end on, and I can't. So How about I, I just... end the show? <laughs> but no, in, in my own thoughts, I mean, I know. Your I'm just teasing ter- you, Ria. Of... <laughs> oh, cheeky. Um, and just, yeah. yeah. Just... Uh, just uh, yeah it's been an amazing experience talking to you both about it so uh, just thank you Tonya for doing this it's so important well you should know that I love you all and even more so after this conversation I appreciate you sharing so much of your time and your input and putting so much thought into your answers Ria wrap us up where can people find you and support your work Yes, come and find me on Femon with Tonya and Alison and Ada and Jess. We're amazing. So <laughs> the website is femon.show. The Instagram, which I can never remember, but I believe it's Femon Collective. I run it. You'd think I'd know what on earth our Instagram handle is, but it'll be in the show notes. Come and join in, come in the conversations. Sherry and Amanda, if you want to come and talk to us about anything, please do. Uh, that'd be absolutely wonderful. So come and find us there. Thank you. Sherry. Um, you can find my books on Amazon.com, Sherry Rosenthal. Um, if you would like to um, get in touch with me about um, any future talks like this or about my being on a panel, um, sherry.rosenthal at csn.edu, College of Southern Nevada. I'm always available there. And thank you so much for having me, um, Amanda. Um, Ria, uh, Tanya, I've enjoyed this so much and I'm so honored to be in your company. Um, you guys are all fantastic and I've learned a lot from you. Amanda. Yes, I will echo thank you. What a wonderful um, conversation and one I will not forget. So thank, thank you ladies so much. And thank you, Tanya, for organizing this and allowing me to be, to be a part of it. Um, you can find me at amandaskinandora.com. Well, that's it for today's conversation. If you enjoyed what you heard, please like, comment, and share. Thank you for listening. And more importantly, thank you for reading. <laughs>